0: As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace, blessings, and mercy of Allah be upon you all. I am Abdullah, and I am joined by my wonderful friend, Seamus. Seamus, how's it going?
1: Things are going okay. It's been a bit bit of a quiet, but somewhat busy time. In my life, I was just telling uh, Abdullah that I was doing a lot of paperwork this week which is very, very fun, but I had had lots of paperwork to do. Exhilarating, I'm sure. Various things.
0: I'm sure your life was flashing before your eyes with the amount of uh, excitement going through your bones. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. There was one exciting thing. This is actually, there's one exciting thing is that I got to use a really, really nice pen to do this. And there's something really strange about having used horrible pens your whole life, and then you finally get the chance to use a really nice pen and see what... The difference it makes mm. in writing um but it was a really nice pen and like i realized oh you can write without your hands feeling like they're gonna fall off if you have a pen that's nice mm. you know an ergonomic and is also just like really smooth and how it delivers the ink Wonderful. Um, so yeah so that was one good thing that came out of that
0: a beautiful experience in penmanship that's very inspiring <laughs>
1: My Awful hand. I feel like my awful handwriting was wasted with this, uh, <laughs> with this poor pen. My handwriting is like I describe it as like typical, um, like young adult or young, young man's handwriting. It's the most better it, than like, mine. Mine looks like an like like actual child. Can, if you can imagine like what like most of the, the boys in high school's handwriting looked like, just take the average of all those handwritings and combine them into one, but also make it so that he can't write. He can't <laughs> distinguish between U's and A's for whatever hmm. reason. I genuinely can't do that when I'm writing. They all just end up looking the same.
0: Yeah, mine is more like if you do exactly what you said, except you take the absolute worst in every category and then combine right. it with a two-year-old. <laughs> My writing is so bad. I mean, you know, considering my hands don't work like they're supposed to, it's not that bad, but if you compare it to a normal human being, you can very clearly tell quite quickly I'm not a normal human being. <laughs> so that's that.
1: I think you're you're not a normal human being. You're an exceptional human being. Wow. No way. I'm honored. <laughs> that was so cheesy, but I feel like <laughs> you, you handed me that opportunity on a silver platter. So I had to take it.
0: Wonderful, of course. It's only right. Yeah. Okay, well, um, my week has been pretty, like... It's been pretty chill. Uh, all I've been doing is learning about religion, going on walks. Man, I have been waking up a little later recently, because it's been so cold. I go out just a little bit later, like 30 minutes later maybe in the morning. It's still freezing cold, but not quite as cold as it would be otherwise. And so normally what I would do is I would start my walk a few minutes before sunrise, so I get to watch the entire process, and it's always very beautiful. But recently I've been walking out kind of in that through the midpoint of the sunrise, and there are some of the most mind-blowing sights, man. There was one morning which, like, I never take pictures. Not of myself, not of the things I'm doing, not of things I own. I never take pictures. But there was one time that was so incredible that I had to take a picture and send it to my family, because I was like, this is incredible. It looked like, uh, you know, um, I don't know if there's a term to describe it. You know, like in these David Attenborough documentaries about like the polar bears jumping between those like ice patches. Yeah. It looked like the sky was a sea of ice patches. There were so many micro clouds, like softly padded clouds that perfectly rounded over into a new padded cloud. It, It looked so weird. And it really tripped me out to stand there and see the clouds passing by almost like a river. But it was this perfect pink hue, and then as the sun was rising, it slowly turned red, and I was just like, whoa. So I've been doing a lot of that, um, spending more time outside than usual, just so I can see more of it, because it just blows my mind. Um, I haven't been doing too much work, although today I don't have as much free time as I normally would to study, religion because kyle is going to a game in i think it kicks off in like two hours i think so i'm going to spend my night doing that but my family has already um decided that we're going to have mcdonald's for dinner so you know pretty nice end to the day since i'm going to be working for most of it
1: i just showed you i just sent a picture of the sunset i took Not too recently, but um, probably like a month ago. And this was just a really beautiful sunset, not sunrise, but sunset that happened here.
0: This, if you look at the the part where it's pinkish, it kind of looked like that, except you could see like, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's like the same way that when you're watching those kinds of videos of polar bears jumping between these ice patches, you could see just that little bit of water. Like you can tell it is separated, although they're still somehow joined together in the freezing sea. Like Hmm. it was like these clouds were perfectly connected to each other, but you the, the, the the parts of cloud joining each one together were so see-through that it almost looks like the sky was the ocean. Like it was, man, it was mind blowing. I can't even describe it.
1: That's wonderful. This reminds me of, I, I haven't been, I've been taking not more walks recently, but I've been taking different walks recently because I discovered that, well, I knew there was this path in my neighborhood through the forest um, that led to another neighborhood, but I had always thought that that path was too overgrown to be passable. And that is partly true. It's too overgrown to be passable during the summer when there's lots of foliage. Hmm. But we haven't quite reached that point of the year yet. Um, So it is passable, but we're going to reach that point of the year soon. So I've been wanting to take the the opportunities I can to go through that. And I've never been in that neighborhood before that it, it, it goes through the forest. It's probably like maybe like 200 meters or something like that long Mm -hmm. and it leads you to another neighborhood that's separated by uh, some woodland and i've and it was just really interesting um just doing a bit of exploring um and this neighborhood is really beautiful there's so many trees and there's so many like houses with really nice hedgerows and gardens for whatever reason the people in this neighborhood really like their gardens Mm -hmm. Um, there's even, like, you know, um, this little stream that runs by it, um, and also just walking in the woods through that path was just really nice, um, because it's, it's probably the perfect time to be walking through it, because you can both pass through it, but because spring has arrived, there's still lots of birds chirping, you can hear the animals, there still is some foliage, it's just not as grown as it normally is, Mm -hmm. um, so that's been really, really nice that I've been able to do that recently. Um, and this neighborhood is really big, so there's still a lot left of it uh, for me to explore. Mm. Um, Wonderful. Yeah.
0: I uh, For me, I tend to just do the same thing over and over because I live near a wooded area, so I just go there all the time. Although uh, sometimes, because of the way the sun rises, Uh, There are these big, like, buildings that are blocking it. So sometimes I just walk a couple miles in that direction just so I can get beyond all those big buildings and just see the, the sky plainly without buildings in the way all the time. It really annoys me that there are so many beautiful sights to see but then you'll just see some apartment block under construction in the middle of a
1: beautiful sunset or something. It is it is really unfortunate how that happens, and I, I feel lucky that I live in a um, just a really naturally beautiful area. I'd say, hmm. like I live right on the right on the coast, so I'm very close to the ocean. Um, but there's also like lots of um, wetlands around here. Uh, there's lots of lakes. There's a couple of rivers. Um, it's just a naturally, like, really, really um, gorgeous area, and, and um, the town, there's a town nearer where I live that has, like, dozens of publicly maintained free trails through the woods, so you can just, you can just go up there and walk in them, and I just, it's really nice that I live in an area where I can do that, where I'm, like, I'm not stuck. Mm. In some big city where there is very little nature, and what nature you have is, you know, very pu- very human, um, human like uh, maintained and designed parks. Cause, mm. Like parks can be naturally beautiful, but they're also so their nature that's very subject to human will and to human action. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're like sculpted. Their nature sculpted by humanity more than I like nature being. Um but yeah this is it's nice that you but I'm really glad you got to you got to see that yeah it's really just nice on like the i i just you know when I took this picture of the sunset, I was just like this is so just so it's so pretty yeah and it's it's really nice how um it's just nature's just awesome um I used to be a really big nature head when I was young, um like my favorite activity every summer was that i went to this, um, summer camp at a nature reserve there I would live. And those are some of my best memories. Um, uh, but then I got really sick when I was like probably 12 or 13. Um, and I just, I was just too sick to be doing stuff like that. And I didn't leave my house that much. And that kind of that isolation from nature caused me to uh retreat from it a bit and to mm-hmm. you know get really uncomfortable with bugs and animals and mm. things like that i mean i still have had there's still some things about nature that i've always been uncomfortable with i don't like birds this is a, a, a thing that i that you you realize me i get really uncomfortable with birds from a distance, they're really pretty, but I don't like birds up close for whatever reason. They just freak me out. Um. But normally, I I just like when I was younger. I just loved pretty much everything else in nature. Like I loved, you know, I'd I'd even be the person who'd like pick up crabs at the beach. Like these small little crabs, I'd take them by the shell so they can't pinch you because they can't move their little claws um backwards that much. You know mm. that type of movement. Just pick them up, just look at them and just, you know, set them back in the ocean, go, you know, walk free little crabs. Um and so I've been trying to get back into nature as much as I can.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Um I have been because obviously I'm limited to this one place. And although it is a beautiful place, I've been here for almost twenty-three years, and so I've kind of seen everything there is to see um so what i've been doing i made episode 1 like i think 2 months ago almost i don't know it's been a while um but i wanted to do this thing called signs for the believers and it's based on a verse in the quran which says that um i i forget the full verse but it's essentially saying like in in the heavens and the earth and the skies and the stars there's a sign for those who believe Because you can't look at that stuff and think there isn't a creator out there somewhere. Um, And so that verse inspired me one day, completely randomly. I didn't have anything to do, uh, and I, I didn't sleep particularly well. So I was really tired, but I didn't want to nap because it was going to ruin my sleep schedule. And I thought, why don't I just read some Quran? And so that's what I did, and then that's when I came across that verse. And it just gave me this weird feeling of... Let's take a look at what people have been taking pictures of recently, and I came across these subreddits dedicated to pictures of space, of different nebulas and different pieces of our galaxy. people who go to different um, there, there's this guy I've forgotten his name. It, it might be James something I don't know. Um, but there's this reddit guy who has an Instagram page where he literally just goes to random parts of the US which have as little um, light pollution as possible and spends the entire night doing nothing but taking a ton of pictures and layering the different results on top of each other so that he can, he can make this kind of one beautiful image of what earth looked like that day from that location. And he has some insanely beautiful pictures. And these are things that there's a lot of, uh, from what I've been able to gather the past couple months of consuming this content, there's a lot of elitism In the photography space when it comes to edited pictures and not edited in the sense of photoshopped edited in the sense that by taking a lot of pictures and compiling them into one you are putting a lot of information there which the blind eye can't see and so because that isn't a natural picture they're very kind of elitist about it not being legitimate and you're giving people false hope and whatever but it is genuinely something beautiful in our universe, in our day-to-day lives, which we just aren't able to see. And so I think sharing a picture of that is something really powerful, because these are some of the most beautiful images that are possible to be seen. Um, and, and the only way they're achievable is by using these methods.
1: I completely agree with you. And that type of sentiment, like, then like, then there's like, is looking at the moon with a telescope is that cheating? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so is that cheating to look at the moon and take pictures of it with a telescope? It's so silly. Or to do that or to or to like, you know, do the same thing with um um like what was I going to say? Like, like, um, like microscopes, like taking pictures of like bacteria and things like that with microscopes. Is that cheating too? Mm.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's just such a silly debate, but essentially, you know, that one day I just went down the rabbit hole and I discovered these subreddits and these videos and I was just like, man, the universe is such a beautiful place. And I had never really given it much deep thought before that day. And so I compiled I wanna say it's like a five minute video of just random pictures and I think there's maybe one or two video clips from Reddit. Um, And it's just beautiful sites. But in the past two months, I have been slowly creating an archive of, I wanna say there's like 200 plus images of just some of the most beautiful things, like only the best of the best of the best that have been taken in the past two months. And so now I've started the process of bringing them into my editing software And forming a video out of it. And it's going to be like a 30 minute video or something like that. Uh, And most people aren't going to watch it. But for the one or two people who do, they're going to sit down. My neighbor is doing some mowing. So I'm sorry if you guys can hear that in the background. That's okay.
1: Um, You can hear it, but it's not incredibly awful.
0: Wonderful. Good enough. Um, It's going to be a long video. But for the one or two people who do watch it all the way, it's going to be something truly moving because it's like this is the best of the best when it comes to photographing our our planets our nature our animals our universe things that we can't even see in our universe but are there nonetheless and it's just I think a very cool idea that we have the ability because of the internet to get things that we ourselves cannot experience in our daily lives even if I was to somehow go all the way to America I don't have the professionalism needed or the skill needed in photography to do this stuff but I'm able to watch it and consume it and play with it anyway because someone else did and they put it online which you know that's just one of the many things of I went on a rabbit random rabbit hole one day and of course the reason I did this is because it was bringing me closer to God by seeing all these beautiful creations but then that in itself made me realize, wow, the internet is kind of a big deal. <laughs> uh, a lot of people grow up without it, and I'm sorry for their loss because
1: it's a really powerful and beautiful thing. It is, it is, and I, I felt that the same way too. Just like or what? Not the same way too. I I felt like your emotions about you know the beautiful things in the universe and what they do to you spiritually and religiously um i just i just when you have that moment when you're you know either in nature or looking at nature you know doing something like um astronomy looking at the sky um it just there really is something special about when you connect the awe that these things give with you with with god it's just really wonderful um there was one time i was um I was going to a place called the Blue Hills, which is these, uh, three, I think three, maybe four, or maybe just two, uh, small hills just south of Boston, um, and you can climb them, and on top of one of the hills, there's these towers, and these towers were built so you could spot fires in Boston. Um, so people could, you know, firefighters or professionals, like fire spotters could go up on these towers before there was, you know, the, you know, like satellite tech or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you could go on, on top or like you just, you know, cell phones, say there's a fire here. Go on top of these towers and you could look at the whole big city of Boston and see where there's smoke or if there, if there is smoke mm-hmm. in the city. And so I, I went up on these towers and just seeing... Not just seeing the city of Boston, which is a you know, you could just see the entirety of the city just spread out. Um, and you know, uh, when you paid really attention, you could even pick out like certain big buildings, um, like the Prudential Building in Boston. I could pick that out, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. But not only that, you could just get a, a view of like all of Mass, all of like eastern Massachusetts. Like I think at like the furthest ex- extent you could see was like Plymouth. Which is a pretty—that's pretty far away from where you are, on these not very tall hills. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, eastern Massachusetts is very urbanized. It's very, um, it's very densely populated, but it's also very, yeah. very flat. So you don't get oper- So you know, it's not really a place where you can, you know, go on a mountains often and see all the human, you know, all the everything that humans have built, and also. All the nature surrounding it mm-hmm. um but there's just you know the blue hills are the, like the one place you can do that and it's just yeah just genuinely are inspiring yeah that vision i not vision but you know the the, the sights to be seen there
0: mm.
1: uh, i'm actually gonna see if I can, I can see if anyone's taken photos of that view they're definitely going to be worse than what you see with your human eye. I don't know if you've ever seen what like a picture of the moon looks like with your cell phone camera. It's usually <laughs> not good, we're good. Yeah. Blue hills, Boston,
0: Towers. One of the many beautiful things that the internet has given us is the ability to not just get the beautiful sights of the world, but also a lot of information which will be otherwise difficult to get. So what we're going to do is the religious part of this episode once Seamus has found those images i'll put them on the screen once he
1: shares them i have found one wonderful. this is this is also a really nice photo because it's fall and all the leaves are really pretty hmm so yeah that's the photo of Boston
0: wonderful yeah excellent it is very pretty indeed so uh there is a wonderful website which i would recommend to any muslim who is interested in finding truth because there are a lot of pages a lot of institutes who claim to be islamic but they will purposefully go for a weaker opinion that has next to no evidence or some cases no evidence at all just because it makes their life easier um, so this is an authentic website it is trusted it is reputable and so this information i'm going to present on this topic is perfectly authentic as authentic as i can possibly be. I'm sure there's someone out there who is an actual scholar, who knows the Arabic language, who can find something better in a book written by someone more knowledgeable. But this is what I have, and that's what I'm going to use. So the religious segment for me today is going to be about the five pillars of Islam, specifically um, what they all mean, what they all encompass, because they themselves, when you hear them, they're pretty similar but sometimes people don't fully comprehend what each one of them requires and you need to constantly be observing all of them to be a muslim if any one of these are void or null you're not a muslim anymore so it's something you really need to pay a lot of attention to and it's very very, very important that even for me as a muslim that i make sure that these basics are fully uh, mastered i guess you could say because like i said they're really important they literally separate you from a disbeliever so yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm going to begin reading from the site now. Islam is a religion based on five pillars. The Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu wasallam, peace and blessings be upon him, said in Sahih al-Bukhari number eight that Islam is built upon five pillars: the testimony that there is no god, the testimony that there is no god but Allah, and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, establishing regular prayer. Which is Salah in Arabic, paying zakah, Hajj, which is pilgrimage, and fasting Ramadan. So, let's go into each of these in just a little bit of depth so we can get a full comprehension of what the five pillars of Islam actually stand for. So, number one, the testimony. This is known in Arabic as the Shahada. This means that a person believes that Allah alone is the Lord, sovereign and controller, the creator and provider. He affirms all his most beautiful names, of which we know 99, and all the sublime attributes that Allah has affirmed for himself, or that his prophet, Muhammad, has affirmed for him through knowledge that Allah himself gave him. He believes that Allah alone and no one else is the only one who is deserving of worship. This is important to note because a lot of people falsely assume that in the same way that... um, christians worship jesus and god a lot of people associate muhammad to also being worshipped the same way god is no we have a lot of respect for muhammad but anyone who worships him is walking a very dangerous line
1: well the christian position is that we don't worship jesus and god we worship jesus because he is god oh yeah yeah well some of you some (laughs) of you (laughs) some some are some are crazy yes but i i I think yeah i do think you understood i i think yeah i understood what you meant yeah (laughs) Uh, You're very much into your oneness of God. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so, uh,
0: the person who observes the testimony believes that Allah sent his messenger, Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and revealed to him the Quran. We don't believe that Muhammad created the Quran, we believe that Allah revealed it to him, and then Muhammad revealed it to others. Allah also commanded him, that being Muhammad, to convey this religion to all of mankind, not for a specific tribe, not for a specific community, and not for a specific time period, for all of mankind forever, basically. He also believes that loving Allah and his messenger and obeying them are duties which are obligatory upon all of mankind since this is a message that was revealed to mankind and that the love of Allah can only be realized by following his messenger, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Allah says in the Quran, Surah Al-Imran, which is chapter 3, verse 31, Say, O Muhammad, to mankind, if you really love Allah, then follow me, that meaning, accept Islamic monotheism, and follow the Quran and the Sunnah, which is the ways and the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad. It continues on, Allah will love you and forgive you your sins, and Allah is oft forgiving, most merciful. So, you must believe all of those things for the testimony to hold true. And the only way someone can become a Muslim, it's actually quite simple, is you recite the testimony, which is the shahada. Mm-hmm. It's literally words that you say which affirm that you believe these things to be true. And unless you believe all of them, 100%, your testimony isn't accepted. It's uh, void, basically. Let me just... Someone is calling me on my phone. so Oh no. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Let me just mute that. Okay. Uh, hopefully, my little flashlight here is going to hold out a little longer. The second. I do pillar, have a question. Oh, oh go ahead. Go I ahead. do
1: have a question, and I'm really curious about this. I've never thought of it before, but you just made me realize. So you said that um, the, the Sunnah is like the the ways and the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad. Mm-hmm. Are those ways and teachings of the Prophet ex- exclusively from the Quran, or did or do they have some other? that did, did did like God reveal them to him in some other way? Um, Good question. I'm, 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 I'm very confused now. So okay. like, oh, I've so, never thought about this, but essentially, I need to know. Sharia, which is Islamic law,
0: um, is based upon the Quran and the Sunnah. There are some matters which the Quran, the direct word of God to mankind itself, directly says, such as alcohol not being allowed, no premarital sex, and things like that. However, there are some things which the Quran, because it's not supposed to be a book containing everything, it would be thousands and thousands of pages long. And if anyone wants proof of this, because a very common argument against Islam is, well, why do you have to follow the Sunnah? I want you guys to understand, there are many collections of books that are many volumes long each, each of which tens of thousands of pages about different parts of the Sunnah. Combine all of them, and then you would have something so massive that no one would ever want to read it. Yeah, it is um, illogical to make an argument against the Quran by saying it is incomplete because the Quran is meant to be a book which is regularly read and reflected on by Muslims. We take teachings from the Sunnah to our best ability, but there are many people who don't have that uh, knowledge given to them because the Sunnah, I mean, there are books. Of course, Muhammad was Arabic. He lived in Arabia. He spoke Arabic. And so these books are in Arabic. And there are thousands of pages. It takes a lot of money and resources to translate even one of those collections of books. And even then, they're really expensive and barely anyone owns a copy in a language that isn't Arabic. So it's really hard for that uh, information to be passed along unless you are part of a Muslim community which is very, very pious. And unfortunately, nowadays, a lot of that isn't the case. God, being all-knowledging, would have known that that would happen, and so didn't want to give us a book 50,000-plus pages long, probably. Um, I think if we were to combine all of the different sources of Sunnah, it would... Yeah, probably around 50,000, I've heard, is, is around the, the number. That's pretty massive. It would be huge! <laughs> No one is going to read that, and we're encouraged to read the Qur'an as often as we can while still understanding the meaning. Guys, there are some people who struggle to read the Qur'an once or twice a year. You know, they do it at least once during Ramadan normally. That's not something we have to do, but it's something that is preferred. Can you imagine if it was 50,000 pages and you have to read it in 30 nights? That's ridiculous!
1: Yeah, and if something's 50,000 pages, even if you do read it, it's so... Good luck remembering. It, that's, it's almost impossible for like a human to just like coherently take everything, everything exactly. 50,000 pages long. Yeah. So
0: yeah. the Quran is what most legislation is based on in terms of complete 100% authority, because that is something that is not subject to interpretation in the sense of people can interpret it however they want. But we cannot look at it from a historical sense and say, well, maybe this happened or maybe that happened and it probably isn't the word of God. We know from a complete, solid chain that as far as Muslims are concerned, this is the word of God, whereas a Hadith, it can be that a report of the so Hadith. Hadith is the Arabic word for report. So essentially these are historical reports about something the prophet said or did. And then it is in our best interest to follow that some of these reports are specifically about something being prohibited or permissible, and others are just things that he did which it would be beneficial for us to do, although we don't have to. We're not sinful if we don't do them. There are different gradings, meaning um, in terms of the authenticity, there are different gradings that are given to hadith based on an analysis by scholars when it comes to the different people who narrated them. And each hadith has an isnad, which is a chain of narration and if somewhere in that chain, there is a weak link, maybe someone who is forgetful, someone who is known for deception or lying, that hadith is not fully authentic. It's not 100% clear. However, there are multiple, there's quite a few hadith, which are completely, we're 100% certain, all of the people who narrated it were completely trustworthy, everything about it is solid, and so we take from that 100%. There is, that, that's what we call a sahih. Sahi means authentic, essentially. There's another grading, which is Hassan, and Hasan is good, it's, it's fair, it's acceptable, but it's not complete certainty. This could mean that one of the people or multiple of the people aren't 100% sure, but something along the lines of this was said, but then we go earlier on in the chain and these people are 100% certain they're of good character, they're morally upright, uh, ma- what am I saying? Morally righteous people, things like that. Everything is held upright and firm and it's fine. And then there is, uh, I don't know how to say it's a complicated word for a non-Arabic speaker. I think it's daif or or daif or something. It means weak. And weak are narrations in which there could perhaps be some truthful narrators. But when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, the whole chain is pretty uh, null and void, basically. It doesn't mean that it's completely made up. But it means somewhere along the lines, some kind of message was lost in translation, uh, or, or lost in interpretation, or lost in memory, or any other of the countless possibilities. By default, a lot of them are either Hassan or Sahih, and so we follow those ones. However, if someone is following something, and a scholar brings forth some kind of evidence which was unknown until this point, which makes it weak, then we stop following it. These are not things which are like the Quran in which uh, it's like a litmus test for whether you are or aren't a Muslim, right? The Quran says gay bad. If you say gay good, good luck. Uh, Whereas if there is a Hadith that says something and later someone takes a different point of view, depending on the scholarly consensus around the authenticity of it, that may actually be a valid thing to do. Mm. Um, And so the reason that we take from Hadith is, like I said, if we were to try to combine the Sunnah and the Quran, we would have this overwhelming book that no one realistically would be able to read multiple times in their lives, let alone to understand and to reflect upon and to hold all of its values. So, first of all, in terms of why we follow the Hadith, I should say, if there is a Hadith and we know that it is authentic meaning that the overwhelming likelihood is that this was said by the prophet or that the prophet did this, he wouldn't have that knowledge unless it was given to him by Allah. Because the Qur'an itself, Angel Gabriel came down and said, read. And he had to say it a few times because Muhammad couldn't read, but he said, read. And that is how parts of the Qur'an were given to Muhammad, at least originally uh, it was the angel Gabriel who told him to read from what was given to him by his creator. That continues to be the case, not simply in terms of reading, but it is always the case that if a, if a piece of knowledge has come down to Muhammad and he has passed it on to someone else, which then we take from, that knowledge was given to him by God. Otherwise, well, he, he just made it up? He just felt a little strange one day? No, all of the knowledge comes from God. Um, The reason that we take, sometimes you will find some people or some scholars or some schools of thought, they will have a different viewpoint than others because there are different hadith that support different viewpoints, okay? And so I will give an example. I don't know all of the hadith on this matter by heart, so I won't try to uh, summarize them. But what I will say is there is a consensus um, that without a shadow of a doubt, a woman has to wear the hijab bare minimum. And that is something which covers her hair and her body all the way down to her hands and it only shows her face and her hands this is something all of the scholars agree on there's no one who disagrees with that and that is because the quran itself says that and there are hadith which support that multiple of them and they are sahih they're authentic but there are also hadith which are authentic which would imply that it is actually obligatory for women to cover the face. And so scholars have differed on this for 1,400 years. There has always been this issue of which is right and which is wrong. But the thing is, we have another hadith, and that tells us that if such an issue is made, that being that there are two valid sides with valid evidence, then both are valid. It's fine. I mean, we know for definite, without a shadow of a doubt, a woman must cover her hair and her body. We know that for sure. If she wants to cover her face, if she wants to take the viewpoint that she covers her face, then that's fine. Good for her. She might even get good rewards for it, but she won't be sinful if she doesn't do it because mm. they both have valid evidence on both sides. However, well, there, that makes sense. Yeah. However there are other examples. I, I don't have a specific one in mind. I, I, I'm pretty sure. There's one in my head I'm pretty sure is the case, but I don't want to speculate and, and, and misattribute it. But there is some certain cases, uh, particularly around actual acts of uh, perceived sexual immorality, which some scholars have said, hey, actually, I think this hadith supports that this isn't the case. However, these are only a handful of scholars. Normally, the hadith aren't sahih. Normally, they are either hasan, which is fair, good, acceptable, or they are daif, which is weak. And so because there is stronger evidence in one way than the other, this is inauthentic. You cannot follow that opinion. And you would be sinful if someone made you aware that there is stronger evidence and you follow this anyway, then you are doing it based on your whims and desires. You're doing it just because it's easier. And so you are sinful for that. And so the, 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 this is, again, I think part of the reason why the Sunnah is separate from the Quran, even though they're both interlinked, is because there are going to be, inevitably, because it's based on vocal transmission, there are going to be times when people disagree, even if both sides have valid evidence. Mm. And if you have a religion which has disagreements like that in the holy book, people are going to look at that and go, that's weird, I don't think that's the truth. But if we separate the holy book, which all of the scholars agree on, from the thing that scholars differ on then we can be certain without a doubt that the book is holy we can be certain that the knowledge bestowed upon muhammad was holy because it's from god and then we leave it up to the scholars because they go through countless decades of training in terms of uh, being able to tell which evidence is strong and which evidence is weak we leave it up to them to help us uh, be guided by god in terms of which hadith which report is authentic which do we follow which do we not follow and these hadith there are so many of them that even a single person this guy and his lawnmower i lost my train of thought um (laughs) um i don't remember but essentially um there are so many hadith that there is something for every scenario and like I said uh, in, I believe I said in episode one, that there is a hadith of the prophets telling us not to defecate in the direction of the Kaaba. And that is simply out of a sign of respect. Um, it, it wouldn't be very polite if you were defecating in front of a cross, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's so. <itself. laughs> so this is an example of something that most people would think is trivial. I'm just going to the bathroom. Yeah, but for us, actually, it's very important that we do it in a specific way because otherwise it may, we may risk sin or wrongdoing. Uh, even if something isn't sinful, it can still be wrong and we can still be doing wrong and we still need to repent for it. Um, and so the Sunnah is kind of there. Some people say it's there to complete the religion, but the reality is it's really just to clarify it because there are even some verses of the Quran, which have hadith about them because by the, by itself, the Quran, uh, a lot of people get the wrong misconception from it. A good example Would be that one I I mentioned in the first episode of killing all the disbelievers. Well, if you were to read the hadith, it would take a long time because there's a lot of them. But you would inevitably come across hadith from that same time period, the the same time span, which were explaining the situation of the time against the enemies of Islam and the people who were wrongly um, persecuting them. There are hadith of the prophets during the period of time in which Muslims couldn't defend themselves, and so you can pretty easily paint a historical, because again, this is, it's a study in history, really. It's like a historical evaluation of events, because you need to verify that this information is historically true for us to accept it in the first place. And so you can paint a very clear historical image of what was happening at the time that that Quranic verse was revealed. And without the Sunnah, to clarify that, we wouldn't really have a defense against people in the media who take it out of context and try to defame us with it and call our religion, all these nonsensical names. Um, and so for that reason, the Quran and Sunnah go hand in hand, although of course the Quran is the number one. Um, but there's a a, a lot of things. There's so many things about the Sunnah, which are either just beneficial for us in our daily life or are a means of guidance for us because that knowledge came to the messenger through God. And so um, it's a really good question you ask, because it is really important that people understand that there's a lot of these so-called Quranists, they follow only the Quran. Even though the Quran tells you to follow the teachings of Muhammad, they still only follow the Quran anyway. And you That's will like, find
1: that. Them... There's no such thing as sola scriptura in the <laughs> yeah. Bible, but they still believe in sola scriptura. Exactly. <laughs> but if they actually believe in sola scriptura, they wouldn't be believe in sola scriptura. This is not in the Exactly.
0: Bible. It's it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's a self-fulfilling prophecy of stupidity. But um, there are these people who believe that, and you will always find them disagreeing with the Sunnah. Now, we have, there are some cases in which, like I said, they're authentic, and this is a historically based thing. We know the prophet said this, and they say, well, it's not in the Quran, so he was probably wrong. Oh, so now you're saying the messenger of God, who you praise, is wrong? It's so easy by discounting the Sunnah to nullify your status as a Muslim. It's just really easy. And so because of that, it's really important that people are aware of the differences between them, but also that they're both really important. Uh, And we base our, our laws off of both.
1: Okay. Do you think we're ready to move on, this, on to the second pillar, or are we just gonna do one pillar today? We're gonna—I don't know. I was gonna do all of them, but does that satisfy the your question? Yes, that satisfies my question. Wonderful. it was a very good answer, very comprehensive. Thank you. I'm glad. Um,
0: the second pillar is prayer, which in Arabic is salah. The Muslim believes that Allah has enjoined upon every sane adult Muslim, and this is important. If there is someone who has a legitimate mental illness, and they, they're, um, it, it's hard for them to remember things they need to do, or it's hard for them to dedicate themselves to things to do, where there's some case where someone is literally insane and they don't have a grip on reality, then they don't need to. They're not going to be sinful if they don't do that. So the Muslim believes that Allah has enjoined upon every sane Muslim Saint adult Muslim as well, you have to have puberty. Uh, Five formal prayers that are done each day and night, which he does in a state of purity. You need to purify yourself. If you do something sexual, you need to do khusl. And khusl is essentially a ritual bath that fully cleanses your entire body of any form of major impurity. However, there is also wudu. Wudu is a minor purification for minor impurity, such as if you go to the bathroom or if you go to sleep, your wudu will be invalidated, things like this. Mm. And so you need to be in a state of purity and you stand before your Lord every day in humility, thanking him for his blessings, asking him of his bounty and seeking his forgiveness, seeking his forgiveness for your sins, asking him for paradise and seeking refuge in him from hell. Salah is separate from dua. Dua are supplications and these are things like oh Allah please allow my parents to become muslim, right? Prayer is something we specifically have a ritual that we have to follow. And this is not um, completely set in stone. There are certain again valid evidence from different scholars of the different madhab, madhab are schools of thought, schools of thought um there are four main ones Hanbali Shafi'i Maliki and Hanafi and these are all very very wise and knowledgeable scholars and each of them have different evidences for their different uh, beliefs and although they contradict each other very often all four of them will contradict each other these are not contradictions in our religion because if they differ on the, the posture you should have while standing in prayer you're still standing in prayer the pillar of standing in prayer is still there right Mm. Uh, and so these are minor things, which you are not, uh, so long as, again, they have valid evidence, you are not sinful if you follow one or the other. Um, dua, there are certain dua that are, come from the Quran or come from the messenger, and they have more bounty and reward and prosperity. But anyone at any time can say anything, and it would be a dua, so long as they say, oh, Allah, please, so-and-so, or this, so-and-so, that, and whatever. It is really important to differentiate the two because a lot of religions, although they may have the concept of two different types of prayer, they don't really differentiate in terms of the actual wording. Whereas in Islam, yeah. like a lot of the time, um, I, I remember going to church and prayer for us was talking to the priest and to God at the same time and saying, you know, Oh, father in heaven, stuff <laughs> um, Astaghfirullah, by the way, teaching moment. Astaghfirullah is, oh, Lord, forgive me, because, you know, I'm saying an example here, I don't actually believe it, but it still kind of feels a little gross to, for the, those words to come out of my mouth as a Muslim. Um, but it would say, you know, oh, father, this or that, or please, you know, cure Betty of cancer or whatever some girl's name in church was. Um, I don't remember any of those people. But, you know, that, that's kind of the prayer, so to say. And the word in English for what we do is prayer, but it's something completely different than that. And we have a completely separate concept of that form of prayer, which is in Christianity. Although some Christians do have a formal prayer, which was done by Jesus. So. Yes. And
1: the, the, the types of prayer you've described so far sound re- reasonably similar to like Eastern Christianity and probably also Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like what you do. Yeah. Like, um, Copts specifically have seven fixed times of prayer with, um, there's the, the, I always forget what the name of this is in English, but it's basically the book that has all your, the prayers you pray at the seven fixed times a day. It's called the Akpia. And yeah, they're written down. They usually consist of Psalms, like, you know, from the book of Psalms, Mm -hmm. um, a gospel reading that you, like, chant, and, um, you know, other smaller prayers, you know. Yeah.
0: Um, so there's... um, We have five daily prayers, although we actually have... I'm trying to count them in my head, but I'm probably going to misremember. Um, there are many more you can do voluntarily, which you will get good mm. deeds for, and it's a particularly good habit to form because... There's a, I believe it's a hadith, and I believe it's sahih. I'm not too sure about that. I, it's one of the early ones, I think. Um, there's a hadith of Muhammad during his night journey. He ascended to heaven, and when he was there, this is when Allah gave him the prescription for Muslims to pray 50 times a day. And so Muhammad came down, and as he was going down back to earth, Musa stopped him. Moses stopped him and he said, Whoa, 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 hold on. Because Moses had spent a very long time of his life trying to call people to religion. And so he said, Whoa, 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 hold on. 50? Bro, I know these people. 50 is not going to work. And so he said, Go up to God. He is the most merciful. Ask him for a little bit of reduction. This is crazy. And so Muhammad went up and he asked, you know, oh, dear Lord, please reduce the amount, I don't think, or, you know, Musa advised me that people wouldn't be able to do this. And, um, he came down and I think it was 25 and Musa said 25. Okay. This, you know, like, uh, subhanAllah, glory be to God. But I think that might still be a bit too much for them. And so this back and forth happened and him constantly going up and asking for it to be reduced until it came down to five. And Musa said, still, I really don't think humanity has it in them to do this regularly every day. And Muhammad said, I've asked him to reduce it so much. I feel ashamed. I'm going back to earth. See you later. Um, and
1: that's a really hilarious image. I'm sorry, (laughs) that story. It's almost like a Monty Python sketch or something like that.
0: And then the thing is, is that Musa was right. It is so difficult. I mean, it's not difficult physically, but in terms of, mentally building up the energy to make this a habit. There are so many Muslims who struggle to do all their five prayers, let alone the voluntary ones, which are far more. Um, I'm going to try and count. There's one, I think there's seven or eight voluntary prayers, but anyway, um, this is, uh, scholars, I I really need to read up on this more because it actually does fascinate me. It's a beautiful story. Scholars have differed in terms of whether, because obviously God is flawless. And so some people look at that hadith and they say, did God make a mistake of attributing 50 and the needing to be corrected? Uh, But the reality is no, of course not. The likelihood is that this is a test. And in the same way, these prayers themselves are a test for us. Gaining the knowledge of it was likely a test for Muhammad to see. um, I I don't want to misattribute things to the scholars. But essentially, all I'm going to say is it was a test. And there are multiple ways in which multiple people, including Musa, were a part of that test. Whether it be trust, whether it be the fear of God or shame or anything else. Um, It's not something which we see as a flaw or a mistake of God, it is something that we see as a mercy of God rather, because Musa was someone very knowledgeable about the believers. And he said that even for those who believe, it will be tough for them to stick through this because they are going to have moments of waning belief, where even if they remain a believer, their spirits may be low and they may not do the five prayers. They may do three or four, you know? Um. Mm. And this is something that we look to because, um, I believe this is something you can tell me after I say it, I believe this is in both of our religions, both of the versions of events, even after Musa had the the miracle of the sea, there were still people among him who in that slight moment of his absence immediately went to disbelief or believing in something else. And That's why he knows best, like, these are kind of my people, I have a lot of experience here, trust me, this probably isn't going to happen for most of them. And for the early Muslims, definitely there were many of them that kept all their five daily prayers. But now, it has become scarily and really upsettingly common for people on social media to say, ah, finally, for the first time in five years, I did all five of my prayers. Huh? What? What do you mean? First of all, don't say that on social media. You're publicizing your sins. Secondly, huh? You need to fix that, man. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, is that right? By the way, I I think in both. I, of other, God,
1: I, uh, my, I know uh, definitely. Uh, it's probably is given how much of the story of the Old Testament is just, um, you know, um, basically the pro prophet, or prophets are God or God guiding you know, the Israelites through the prophets, through their struggles. He helps them at their lowest time and they thank him. And then fairly soon after they go back to worshiping idols or whatever. Then he punishes them a little mm-hmm. bit, but saves them in the end. And they, you know, stay, remain pious for a little while. Then they go back. to you know, yeah, yeah. It's a very common that's basically the story of the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, but I have forgotten so much Old Testament knowledge that I, I don't specifically remember, but it sounds familiar and it's but even if it isn't, that type of story with like God rescuing the Israelites and then, them, you know, remaining pious for a little while. But as soon as they get a little break, you know, some people, you know, um, you know, start worshiping idols or mm-hmm. do things like that. That is a ve- that's a trope that's repeated in the old Testament yeah. all the time. Uh,
0: one of them. I'm, pr- I'm like 99% sure in both of ours. Um, there is the time, Moses went to get the commandments and he was gone a little longer than they expected. And so they started,
1: they worshiped, uh, the calf, right? I think so. God, I just, I haven't actually, I used to know all these things, mm-hmm. but, um, then I, I left religion and now I'm still very slowly, uh, relearning them. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that sounds familiar. Um, that, fair enough. Yeah. That's, that's fine. We'll leave it there.
0: Um, but yeah. So I, th- I think that is true. But yeah. Yeah. So that, that's kind of. Um, yes, it is true. It is true. Correct. So that's just like a, a testament to how much Moses knew his people. And it's like, this really is going to be tough for them. And rather than seeing it as a mistake from God, we see it as a mercy from God. And it's just like, can you imagine? There are so many Muslims. Maybe even most of them who struggle to do the five daily prayers. Can you imagine if it was 50? Oh my goodness. I don't think I would <laughs> yeah, be able to do
1: that. I don't I don't think most people, you'd basically have to be a monk. Yeah. That.
0: That's the thing. It takes not just a lot of efforts, but it will take a lot of time out of your day. And so that's why. Yeah. It is something we consider a great mercy of God, and that's why these voluntary prayers exist. Because really, we even if you do all the voluntary prayers, it's not even half the amount you you would be doing or really should be doing. Um, it is, it, it's amazing. It's an amazing story. I really love that hadith. Um,
1: no, that is a great story. That is a great story. Yeah, and I think it's a story that's like applicable to both so many religions like i think like many religious people for many different religions could take a lot out of that story and also just non-religious people i think can take a lot of things out of that story Mm -hmm. because it's so frustratingly human
0: yeah it's just such a classic tale of building habits being something incredibly hard to stick to
1: it's incredibly timeless and incredibly wise yes definitely i love that story and that brings us on to the third pillar
0: Which is Zakah. Just as Allah has created people with different colors, attitudes, and levels of knowledge, so too their deeds and provisions vary greatly. He has made some of them rich and some of them poor, to test the rich as to whether they will show gratitude and test the poor as to whether or not they will be patient. Because the believers, being the Muslims, are a brotherhood, and brotherhood is based on compassion, kindness, love, and mercy, Allah enjoined upon the Muslims Zakah, which is taken from the rich and given to the poor. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Take sadaqah, meaning alms, from their wealth in order to purify them and sanctify them with it, and invoke Allah for them. Verily, your invocations are a source of security for them. This is from Surah Al-Tawbah, that is chapter 9, verse 103. Zakah purifies and cleanses wealth and purifies the soul from stinger... (laughs) Wow, I'm going to have hard time with stinginess. Okay. Zakat purifies and cleanses the wealth and purifies the soul from stinginess. (laughs) You guys get it. It makes you less stingy and less miserly as well. It strengthens the love between the rich and poor, takes away hatred, makes security prevail, and brings happiness to the ummah, meaning the Muslim community. The fourth pillar is fasting or Saum. Fasting means abstaining from things which break the fast, this being food, drink, intercourse, and other things from the break of true dawn until sunset with the intention of fasting. Intention is niyah in Arabic. Niyah is essentially, um, if I want to do a voluntary fast, I need to have the intention of doing it and the intention needs to be pure. Am I doing this so I can get some good deeds or am I doing it out of fear of Allah? Am I doing it because I want to show off against my friends who aren't doing a voluntary deed or am I doing it because I really want paradise? Niyah is something really important and I'm probably going to dedicate one of my segments to it one day because it's just really vital that we have a pure intention for the things we do otherwise they won't only not be accepted. For example, if you do charity with the intention of actually showing off instead of doing good. But also it can get you sins as well. Because it could lure others
1: into doing the same as you. This is something Christianity, Islam, very much share an emphasis on. Mm-hmm. Um, I have read so many, so many Christian texts. Like I was, uh, there was a while back where I was basically reading a bunch of these, like Christian monastic texts from like, um, like the Middle Ages. Uh, they were really interesting, and basically half the time, like the monks who were writing these things are just saying. Um, do good deeds, but make sure you're not like do good deeds. Make sure you're not doing this to show off or to have wealth. Make sure this just, just make sure you're doing this because you actually love God yeah. and want to do the right thing, and not because you want to be want to feel good about yourself or want to show off or like you know just just want to signal how awesome you are. Um, because this is if you once you so even if you do the best of deed, if you're doing it for the wrong reason, it's going to lead you down the wrong path.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it's uh, that's, I think, one of the things most beautiful about both religions is just your intention to your actions often make the actions themselves in a lot of cases. Yeah. The relationship of patience to faith is like that of the head to the body. Allah has enjoined upon this ummah, meaning the Muslim community, fasting for one month of the year in order to draw closer to Allah to avoid that which Allah has forbidden, to get used to being patient, and to bring the nafs, which is the self, under control. To complete to to compete, sorry, in generosity and demonstrate cooperation and mutual compassion. This of course refers to the month of Ramadan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O you who believe, observing as Saum, which is the fasting, is prescribed for you as it was prescribed for those before you, that you may become Al- I think, which is pious, so that you may become among the pious people. This is from Surah Al-Baqarah, which is chapter 2, verse 183. The fifth and final pillar is the pilgrimage, also known as Hajj. Allah has given the Muslims a Qibla. Qibla means a direction of prayer, in which they face when they pray, which is when they do the Salah. As well as they offer supplications to Ah. Wherever they may be in the world, they face the Qibla. This Qibla is the ancient house or the Kaaba in Makkah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, So turn your face so turn your face in the direction of Al Masjid Al Mar. <laughs> so turn your face in the direction of Al Masjid al al-haram, at Mecca. And wherever you people are, turn your faces in prayer in that direction. This is from Surah al-Baqarah, which is chapter 2, verse 144. Why do we do hajj in the first place, however? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And hajj, that being pilgrimage to Mecca, to the house, or Kaaba, is a duty that mankind owes to Allah those who can afford the expenses for one's conveyance, provision, and and residence to uh, perform the pilgrimage, and whoever disbelieves, that being they deny hajj, then he is a disbeliever of Allah. Then Allah stands not in need of any of the alamin, which is mankind, jinn, and all that exists. This is from Surah Al-Imran, verse... 97, I believe that's chapter 3. Hajj is an occasion on which the unity of the Muslims, their strength and pride, are made manifest. For the Lord is one, the book is one, the messenger is one, the ummah, meaning the community, is one, their worship is one, and their clothing is one when they go through this pilgrimage. It is truly the only moment in which every Muslim is completely unified in intention, in desire, in action even in clothing. Mm -hmm. And that is the five pillars of Islam. These are the things that you must believe in order to be Muslim. However, there is something else often confused with these five pillars known as the six principles of faith. And there's something very short, which was uh, mentioned about them in a Hadith. Faith in the sense of belief in Islam, is based on six principles, which are mentioned in the hadith of Jibreel, which is Gabriel, peace be upon him, when he questioned the Prophet, وسلم, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, who replied, faith means to believe in Allah, his angels, his books, his messengers, the last day, and the divine decree, both good and bad.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, that is what it is to be a Muslim. These five pillars are things that inform a great deal of our faith because each of them has very far-reaching implications. And if you deny any of them, if you believe any of them are not commandments from God, then bye-bye your status of being a Muslim (laughs) because God literally tells us that these are the five pillars. These are, you know, they're called pillars for a reason, right? They support the rest of what happens as a Muslim. And you cannot be one without each of these pillars firmly in place. You will notice that belief is necessary, but constant, strong belief is not. There is something called. Um, uh, it's called the Iman. I'm trying to think of the correct translation for it. It's essentially kind of. Your level of belief, right? If you imagine belief is a a bar in a video game and 100 is max level, maybe when you joined Islam, you felt that. Maybe when you pray, it's like 80. But for most people, it's hovering between 40 and 60, and it's constantly going up and down. Your faith, of course, there are many people who over history have been blessed in having steadfast faith, very firm and very high amounts of faith. But it's natural. It's very normal especially in the society we live in nowadays, where the worldly life grabs hold of us so easily, it's very natural to have dips in Iman. It's very natural to have really high highs and really low lows. The thing that really matters is that even in your weakest, lowest moments, you stick to these five pillars because these are the things that separate you from a disbeliever, and they are the central of our religion. So yeah, that is that segment done. It was quite long um it it was a lot longer than i expected it to be but i think in large part thanks to seamus's question they have been very beneficial and i hope that it has been an informative segment
1: it's definitely been an informative me to me definitely been informative for me and that was very well presented well done and i feel grossly unprepared to the point where i'm considering saying well this episode's already like an hour long maybe can (laughs) should <laughs> we put off my section for next week? Because I I was going to so, dear listeners, I was originally going to do something about um the Chalcedonian Schism and Miaphysite Christology. I still plan to do that, but I haven't been able to get my hands on the books I needed yet. I will get I will get them soon enough, but I haven't been able to um uh, purchase them yet. And have not delivered yet um so then i was hearing, you know i can um just do you know deliver a, a little thing about fasting and the very basics of, of coptic fasting now i just feel really unprepared because i don't i'm like is my you, you know is my uh off the cuff spiel about coptic fasting gonna be okay I don't think so, but it's a. I'll I'll leave the decision in your hands, Mike. Whether you want to leave this episode here with just your presentation, or do you want, whether you want me to give my own very much worse <laughs> lesson or or lecture on uh, Coptic fasting.
0: I, I think you're too kind. I, I think that my segment was. Uh, I mean. The parts where I read word for word were definitely good. Uh, the rest of it was just me using the best of the knowledge I have available to me. So, without doubt, it was not uh, as well presented as it could have been. Uh, so, because of that, feel free to give your presentation on, even if it's just the basics of fasting. First of all, because I'm, I'm, I, I mentioned fasting, it would be interesting to see the differences and the similarities. But also, um, I, I think you are grossly. Overrating <laughs> my presentation. I think you'll do fine.
1: Okay, I'll, I'll. This will be fairly short. Wonderful. So, all the Eastern Christian churches, far more, Well, maybe the Church of the East. I'm not sure. I don't know anything about the Church of the East. Um, but both the Oriental Orthodox and the Eastern Orthodox churches have fasting. And I mean, specifically, we talk about fasting in the Coptic Church. The Coptic Church has the second largest number of fasting days out of all Christian denominations. The other is another Oriental Orthodox. The one of the most uh, is another Oriental Orthodox Church, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. And I love the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. I have, I have mad respect for those people. They're awesome. Um. And so usually cops fast for around 200, 210 to 240 days of the year and fasting works a little bit different from islam the one thing you have the, the thing you have to do most above all in fasting is restrict what foods you eat so in fasting days you don't eat, you generally eat an exclusively vegetarian diet and during the the most intense periods of fasting like during um the the um holy week like like the week before easter before Pascha, mm-hmm. um it, you might even take it m- more, or at least since earlier did but you might even take it a little bit further and just not eat anything but bread and things like that very simple foods um and but unlike um the eastern orthodox church firmware you do also restrict when you eat it um but this is there's more freedom and and for the individual believer in when they restrict to the usually people restrict but they eat for 12 hours so they won't eat anything or drink any water health exceptions you know permitting because hmm. you know we don't want or you don't want to make someone with diabetes you know go without food if they need food yeah you yeah. know that's just reasonable god is fair um unjust um so oftentimes people restrict what they eat from 12 a.m to 12 p.m or some people will be um do it you know something a little bit harder from 3 a.m. to, um, or 3 p.m. Some people might even do more than 12 hours. They might do 3 a.m. to, um, 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. Um, and if you want to fast the whole day, as far as I'm aware, you can do that. Um, but there's more individual freedom than that. Um, and there are five, or... If I'm getting this right, I think five main... seats. I'm going to get up my notes. Um, there are usually... There are five main seasons of fasting, as far as I'm aware. There's the Advent fast, which is the 40 days before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the fast of Jonah, which is quite short. It's three days in February. Um, then there's Lent, the, most, the, the longest and the most important, and the one which brings you closest to God, which is the 55 days before Easter. This is the, you know, the the most important of all the fasts because it's the fast that prepares you for, you know, commemorating Jesus' death and resurrection. There's also the fast of the apostles, which is from Pentecost to July 12th, and on this fast you can, you are, and during this fast you are permitted to eat fish. Except during Wednesdays and Fridays, I'm not sure what the historical reason for why you're on some, t- some days you're allowed to eat fish. It might just be because that Egypt was, you know, Mediterranean country, but it's also a Mediterranean country situated around a river, so there might be, so it might be because there were, you know, you know, in pre-modern times, there are certain communities whose main source of of food would have been fish, and it would have been, you know, very difficult for them to, you know, get food. Mm. other than fish during sometimes a day mm-hmm. um or sometimes a year um which you know you make sense you don't want to literally be starving yourself <laughs> <laughs> you know that's not good and there's there's uh the feast of saint mary which is i believe from august 12th or august 7th to august 21st and fish are also allowed except on one season fridays um but you also are, during most Wednesdays and Fridays, regardless of whether you're in one of these fasting seasons, And most Wednesdays and Fridays you will fast. Um, there, I think there are a couple of weeks during the year when you are permitted to eat during Wednesdays and Fridays, but I'm not sure when they are. Mm-hmm. And that's my main thing. That's the, main, that's the bulk of what I was going to say. It's very short, um, but those are the, the very basics around fasting, um, when you fast and how you fast. Now, the theology of fasting, I don't understand very well. I'm just going to be completely honest. I don't understand very well. But there are some things that are self apparent, And that is, you know, learning to fast is also, is, and fasting is an exercise in discipline. And telling your body no when it wants to do something that's not supposed to do. Um, And so it's, you know, it's a, it's a tool for teaching yourself to be loyal to God and to follow God's commandments. Mm-hmm. um and of course fasting for you know without god being at the forefront of of the purpose and the mission and you know like we said if you're doing it for the wrong reason you want to show off how cool you are and how pious and how strong you are obviously that's not any good that's completely useless mm-hmm. if you're just doing this for self aggrandizement um it's an exercise in humility not in ego mm-hmm. um it's, I think, a trap that a lot of, you know, I, I, I see this a lot specifically with converts to religions, is um, it becomes an exercise in ego in a way, that they are so prideful of the fact that they chose the, the right religion. And, you know, everyone else in their fa especially when you're choosing, like, a, a smaller, more obscure religion like Eastern Christianity in the West. You know, I see this a lot with converts that people... Are just you know they it becomes an exercise in ego. They want to show that you know I'm the enlightened one out of all my circle of friends who was able to find the truth and the right religion, Mm. and that makes me better than them. Which we're all sinners in the eyes of God. You know we're not doing we should not be doing this because we want to be proud of ourselves. We should be doing this because we want the medicine of the church. We want the medicine of of God and how He can heal us and from our sins and heal you know the broken nature uh, or the brokenness of humanity um you know all our sins mm-hmm. so that's basically my my very small lecture one much more to say well i mean it was sweet i guess considering it was
0: completely unprepared it was very well presented so congratulations
1: Thank you, thank you. The only preparation I did was just making sure I wrote down the correct dates because I'm terrible with numbers and dates. Who isn't? Like I, I could tell you that, you know, like the you know you know the, you know, the fast of advent happens before Christmas, and you know the apostles fast happens you know during the summertime. Like I could tell you that, but I couldn't tell you when with that amount of precision. Mm. You know. Wonderful.
0: Well, I, I think that's it. I think that's a wrap. I think it is wonderful. I think, I think, man, we're two episodes in, this has really been a beneficial and informative endeavor already. I think we're succeeding in that, which is wonderful because it took us a year to get even, even the tiniest trace. I'm sorry. You can hear my grandpa coughing of, uh,
1: (laughs) yeah, that didn't sound like the lawnmower (laughs) that time. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um what am I trying to say? In in the other podcast, we were just we were finding little nuggets of information that were useful to us and presenting them to others every now and then. But it it wasn't uh as well presented, I think. I think if we do this, you know, if we have the first ten, fifteen minutes being talking about our lives and things we've been up to, and then the rest of it is just kind of a structured thing based on some notes we took. I, I think this is gonna be a really successful thing when it comes to first it's helping us learn more but also informing others in a reliable and fairly engaging way i think i mean I, i don't think that podcasts are known for being unengaging you know they're only growing every day so hopefully we can do some good by by doing this every week i hope so too Wonderful. Well, uh, thank you, everybody, for watching the second episode of the Seekers of God podcast. Thank you. All. Oh. We have... I, I've made the decision to only... Now there's a dog barking. Man, everything is going on today.
1: <laughs>
0: um, I made the decision that we're oh. going to mainly make this a YouTube thing. So it's oh. going to be a video podcast on YouTube. Um, sometimes Seamus may not want to turn on his camera, but even if I don't want to turn on mine, I was going to turn mine on, even though I, I think I look garbage 99% of the time. So if, if I have a bad hair day or something, camera's still coming on. Don't worry, guys. You'll always see my...
1: That's something I, I will learn to do eventually, but I am very shy. That's okay. Yeah. know, <laughs> self-conscious.
0: My practice was for two years showing random Star Wars nerds my face, knowing that they're going to do plenty of weird things around it. Uh, Some people cut out screenshots of my face and use them as Discord emojis. So (laughs) I got used to it pretty quick, I think. Um, So yeah, I've made the decision. This is most going to be a video thing. It's most going to be on YouTube. If you type in seekersofgod.uk, it'll redirect you to the YouTube page. Although... This is going to be available on, hopefully, if I'm able to do it properly, because uh, the way I used to do it is different. Hopefully, this is going to be available as MP3s on places like uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, um, uh, Spotify, whatever, Google Google Podcasts. Uh, it'll be available on these different platforms with time, hopefully. But the main focus is definitely on YouTube. We're hoping mm. that by having it be a video thing, it's more engaging, and we're just hoping that we can make it work on youtube because it's just it's something we're more familiar with and it's just easier to have a community uh, conversation rather than like apple podcasts i think the only way to conversate is to leave reviews and i'm, I'm yeah, not i'm a, never yeah. gonna read those <laughs>
1: Sorry, I'm never yeah, like going to the, read them. The, the only thing I was thinking of was like it, like in like the only other option is like an e, like setting up an email account. It's just mm. like it's really cumbersome. But yeah. I think we probably might want to do that eventually just because probably. you know some people might not be comfortable sharing their messages um publicly you know, publicly. Yeah. Uh even if, you know, for whatever reason. Definitely.
0: If um, if we get to such a position then we definitely will set that up because I think it would be really cool if we have like, so right now, so our old podcast was just talking about stuff we've been up to. Now we've evolved to having a section of intro, intro about what we've been up to and then a bigger section about religion and learning and teaching. And then at some point in the future, it would be really cool if we have three sections, which is the intro, the teaching, and then viewer questions like I, I, that's just, the idea of that is just really cool to me. So hopefully we that get to such cool. a stage.
1: And I think unlike uh, as of yet on the podcast, this actually has a chance of growing so and <laughs> yeah. becoming something. Hopefully, indeed. Um, having a name that actually makes sense helps.
0: Maybe. I mean, time will tell. Um, but yeah, so thank you guys very much for watching. We would really appreciate your support. Just leaving a like on the video would really go a long way. Uh, because, like I said, YouTube is the main thing we're trying to do this on. Although, if you did enjoy, you probably should subscribe because we're going to make a new episode next week. So, thank you for watching. May the peace, mercy, and blessings of Allah be upon you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
1: Goodbye.